0: the maturing and manhood podcast my name is dan and i'm jonathan and uh we are here with episode number 10 john dies that seems like a significant number it does it does it's 10 more than none That's why it's powerful. Yeah, we are, of course, um, hoping that this is a means by which we're bringing some wisdom to today's dad, dude, or disciple, um, trying to help inspire um, young men, uh, maybe their dads or just men, or walking with Jesus on their own. And uh, Our hope is that what we share inspires and maybe even encourages or helps provide a vision for what it would look like to grow in masculine manhood so that's i love it doing.
1: i yeah. love it it's uh especially helpful uh i think in particular when we're kind of in that grind you know that weekly grind and we're just doing our thing and um we're hoping that that this just brings a little bit of insight maybe something to kind of pop you out of your routines and bring some real um some helpful knowledge to the way you parent the way you you know um husband is that a verb yeah the way you husband Husbandry—that's a actual
0: it is. activity. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we're uh, we're hopeful. Yeah, let's get um, let's get back on our definition of manhood, John, which is driving a lot of what we're talking about. We don't randomly. I don't think envision what manhood is. There's so many different definitions. It's probably limitless in our culture now. But what what are we um, tuned into, and how would how are we describing it? Yeah. Well, we'll just
1: keep we'll just keep on saying this probably for the next ten podcasts. We need to get it into our hearts as much as you need to get it into yours. So um, here's how we're defining it with some uh, wonderful help from. Mr. John Tyson, but he says, uh, it's the joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility. The joyful pursuit of sacrificial responsibility. And we love that definition.
0: Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's working for sure. It, it uh, kind of spins off into some of what David Gilmore says, too, which is manhood is the defeat of childhood narcissism. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the self-obsession, the self-promotion, and the self-preservation. So that's, um, that's kind of a little supplemental piece to that. So uh, as we're thinking through what this means for being a father, it means helping our kids see progress along the way. And to see progress, the, 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 there's a marking of that progress as someone moves as a child is led, in, led from adolescence to manhood. Mm-hmm. And a boy needs to understand how boys act and think compared to men he needs growth direction challenge uh, and he does that to move along this kind of continuum so he can see the progress he's making towards maturity mm-hmm. so what we're aiming to do is just des- describe in detail what shifts need to be made and there's five that come from the work of Richard Rohr mm-hmm. one the shift from ease to difficulty moves uh, moves a person from childhood to adolescence to manhood then uh, a shift from self to others we've done that in those the, the most recent two podcasts and this episode is the shift from whole to a part mm-hmm. which means men realize they are only part of a greater story they don't believe they are the whole story yeah so as we talk about this shift from uh, whole to part uh, we have to I mean we kind of begin by thinking of our own story and thinking about how our story, matters in bringing context to our kids as we're raising our kids to see themselves as a part of our story and we were a part of our dad's story mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. all of us are a part of God's story. So um, uh, John Tyson in talking about what stories he's a part of or he, or, or, the, or even answering the question, if you are the story, he, he kind of answers that with this. If I could sum up modern culture in one phrase, this is what we're up against. Mm-hmm. It would be this, project self. Yeah, that, so when you talk checks, about, out. Yeah, checks out, yeah, yeah, for sure. When you talk about what we're up against in terms of helping to lead a young child or, or uh, maybe even a disciple, right? We're trying to lead them from the shift from you're a whole to you're just a part. Uh, what are we up against? We're up against a culture that says this is the main project of all of life is the project of self. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that mean? Well, the culture is informing us that you should be, you should demand and protect the idea that you're the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, it brings us to narcissism. Um, I don't think narcissism is self-absorption, self-preservation, and self-elevation. I think narcissism goes an extra step. To also undermine the successes of someone else, or to success, or to undermine and and interrupt when someone else is the center of it. it's it's like I don't know if the word's antisocial behavior or if it's like um, antisocial or what's another word for that like um, it's not psychotic hmm. but it's um, it's a disorder right yeah. self indulged yeah yeah but to the degree in which you're trying to ruin other people's Uh, um stories or if they're if they win an award you're trying to undermine it and sabotage it Mm. but there are narcissistic tendencies that are increasing in modern western societies that i think are very very obvious and even leveraged and cultivated and exploited by what uh, social media has done yeah and 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 like i said this sort of
1: checks out when you think about um hey is narcissism on the rise like without even sort of doing any research. I think almost anyone would say, yeah, probably. It probably is. But I did a little bit of research, um, and the National Uh Library of Medicine has this description of what's happening with narcissism in our culture, and I thought, man, there's some there's some serious stuff and there's just a few sentences, but here let me read it. It says narcissism is increasing in modern Western societies and this has been referred to as a narcissism epidemic. So that's a strong word. It is the endorsement rate for the statement and here's the statement <laughs> i am an important person has increased from 12% in 1963 to 77 to 80% in 1992 oh my gosh 1992 it's like 30 years ago is that right oh it is <laughs> yeah goodness gracious and that's considered modern yeah So how about that? That statement, I'm an important person, that's increased from 12. In in 1963, 12% of people thought I'm important. Mm -hmm. And in 92, 80% of people thought that. That is a wild statistic to me. Recently published books feature more self-centered language compared with earlier publications. For instance, the personal pronouns I and me are used more frequently than we and us. Moreover, the use of narcissistic phrases such as, I am the greatest. (laughs) You said that this morning. As soon as I walked in the office, that's
0: the first thing I heard you say.
1: I know, because I was feeling a little Muhammad Ali-esque this morning. You know, I'd done a little boxing at the gym. And I said, I'm the greatest. And then you followed up with, I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> yep. Now, that has also increased, that statement has increased massively between 1960 and 2008. So, And then also, add, add to this, uh, the, the rise of narcissism also reflected in self-focused song lyrics. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Right. So they're talking about, okay, here's what's happening. And then they kind of start pointing to us why it's happening. Right. Self-focused song lyrics and a stronger orientation towards fame in TV shows. These observations suggest that narcissistic expressions within individualistic cultures have become more frequent.
0: Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I mean. I mean, all I have is anecdotal <laughs> supplement to that, but
1: yeah, it's I'm, true. Like I said, I mean, those things don't... You don't hear that and go,
0: no way. No, exactly. Exactly. So, in fact, the anecdotal evidence that we have is just, I think ways in which you can kind of describe or tell stories about experiencing that with people uh, in our own sense. Um, And you can sense it. You can sense the shift,
1: like they said, with song lyrics you can sense that shift mm. in the culture yeah. right that's not something that's like um oh that snuck up on us a yeah. little bit i mean if you look at song lyrics from 30 40 50 years ago compared to what they are now i mean it's markedly different yeah and no doubt in the church too that would be oh i think that's also true. reflective yeah, and, of the and, culture yeah yeah i think that's also true in congregational singing mm-hmm. dan yeah right We've talked about this many times, right? Where you know the, the congregation is gathered and ends up singing songs about their devotion to God, mm-hmm. and um, that's
0: okay. That's yeah. okay. But uh, a steady diet of that isn't isn't helpful. No, no. Those are sprinkled in as prayers, right? But they're not the meat of what uh, is nurturing your soul when you're together in a in a congregational setting, right? Oh, that's so true. Especially when
1: when you think about it, and and, and this is a bit of a soapbox for me, so I, I'll I'll try and get off it. But um, when you think about when you go through difficult things and you suffer uh, hardship, which we know we're going to, right, as we sort of navigate our way through life, if, if you can reflect back on songs um, that are Godward and that, that teach you about the characteristics of God, right, his faithfulness, his goodness, the hope that we have in him, right, th- th- there's a nourishment there. Right, but wh- if you look back and you're bo- you're basically uh, remembering lyrics that are about your devotion to Him, when you don't feel very devoted and when things are difficult,
0: uh, that's like paper thin. Yeah, that's yeah. paper thin. Not very inspiring. Right. Yeah, totally get it. So this brings us to what I mean. Those that's the problem essentially. That's the problem. And what's needed, according to the shift from Richard Rohr, is the shift that's needed. For our kids is this. It's a bigger picture of life that where they're able to figure out their role and they there's a need to understand their family story to bring kids back to, say, their hometown, their store, their parents, lineage, mm. um, Maybe to give a sense of continuity and history and context to their life and to bring to places, even, even bringing them to places where you yourself as an adult parent or as a child made big decisions in your life. And, and that helps to kind of build a bigger picture that mm-hmm. your child... Sees how they fit into a part of the story. Yeah. Right. And when something emerges in your life, you mark it down with a ritual, you internalize it. So life is not just a blur of ordinary days, but you have these, um, Ebenezer reminders, these, these, yeah. what, what would be an Old Testament picture of something significant happened here. Mm-hmm. And these are marked with, um, kind of rituals that internalize it so that life is not yeah. just racing by on and, and everything's forgettable. I have to admit that this is, the more
1: I look at this, this is really a new concept for yeah. me. Like, I, I don't, I, I just don't think I have a natural inclination to make sure that my kids know their family story. Yeah. Right um or like he says bring him back to to the to to your hometown it's like well we live in my hometown so yeah. like you're already here but I, I i might be skipping over some significant places well, right, just because I think, oh, you're already familiar with it, but like, there's no, there's been no intentional discussion around like, hey, this is a place that's important, and here's what happened here, or um, here's, you know, uh, you know how your grandfather came to know Christ, and how that sort of like, you know. T- know reset like the trajectory of the whole family yeah right that's Im- important stuff to know but like
0: I just don't my brain doesn't do that I don't I've, know if yours does well I felt the same way when I was trying to think through what are a personal application of this idea of moving you know sh- making the shift and, and essentially discovered that I this is an area I have not been able to focus on, haven't thought to focus on, and mm-hmm. and maybe tell a little funny stories of of the past that help the kids understand a little bit. But the purpose of me telling the stories is not to make sure that they see themselves fitting into a whole story, a bigger story. Right. So that's not been um, instinct. And some of the other stuff that we've talked yeah. about on parenting has been more instinctive for me. This is not. So this is a this is welcomed new insight for me in in um and I think I'm processing mm-hmm. it um, more fresh than I have some of the other right. content. You could kind of see how this this would be helpful though, right? To
1: to add like some extra like big picture context to your yeah, life. And yeah. like why you live where you live and like why, you know, you know, your 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 parents behave a certain way, why your grandparents did this. Like all that is sort of shapes who you are and i could really see that being helpful i think i got that in like drips and drabs sort of growing up yeah for my parents like little stories here and there and um but i never was ever like put that put the pieces together and go like oh this is like it's actually shaped me yeah what what
0: is your life context story if your kids were listening or you wanted to tell them hey i haven't really filled you in on the context of your little life what would you how would you describe it to them I mean, it's tough to do in a couple minutes, but
1: I'll give it a whirl. Um, Italian family, um, which was, you know, of course, most Italians predominantly Catholic. Um, And that was true of my family. Um, And then my grandfather, he's a farmer. Uh, um, This is on my mom's side. so my mom's dad. He's a farmer. And the story goes, uh, he's out on his tractor and he's farming and he and this is crazy but this is the story he audibly hears from God oh boy and and God says to him go to that church and he knew exactly what God Mm -hmm. was talking about because there was this like Italian sort of um, Pentecostal charismatic church that had been planted and there were many Catholic folks in his community that were sort of starting to to go to that church and he was like so against it you know Mm -hmm. but he hears an audible voice from god go to that church so he goes and the funny part of that story is he thought that (laughs) in this church what they did was they turned the lights down and they kissed that's what he thought the church did
0: wow really (laughs) that's yeah that's the story wow wow okay that that would have struck me as yeah. uh obviously not happening <laughs> so
1: he goes to the church finds out that that's not the case um and
0: becomes um a pentecostal Wait, evangelical Christian. Let me, let me interrupt you there go ahead and so go he it. he hears and believes that they turn the lights down and kiss yeah and then also goes there anyway well, god told him to <laughs> was he, oh right what's he gonna do one. i forgot about
1: that part <laughs> that's why he wasn't going but then god was like go so yeah go kiss kiss someone so he went and and so interestingly he suffers some persecution actually from the italian community he was a farmer which means he would meet at the the farmer's market the same market that we we go to and know now here in syracuse and um they used to make fun of him you know call him like a holy roller and stuff and he was like newly saved you know I don't think he quite understood etiquette. He's a big man, and the story goes: uh, one of the one of the people who's harassing him week after week after week, he picked him up over his head and like basically shoulder pressed them yeah. and
0: slammed him down onto Farmer the concrete. Curry. Yeah, yeah how about that? You have WWE <laughs> characters in your that's the lineage. stock I come from, Dan. Oh, I could see it. You know, that explains a lot so
1: um you know needless to say the persecution stopped um so uh and then the same thing sort of on my dad's side there's like this miraculous thing that happens they leave the catholic church that's how my parents meet uh at a pentecostal church and um and 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 as i sort of think through that and like i've got dozens of aunts and uncles i've got hundreds literally hundreds of cousins and uh I just look at sort of their lives, and, and not all of them, but many of them uh, who, for one reason or another, have not chosen to live a life full of faith. Um, their lives are, are often marked by chaos, Dan. Yeah. And, and disorder. Totally. And, 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 and heartbreak. And oftentimes that's self inflicted. So um, here we are, and somehow, some way, we're spared by God. Right? we're spared by the, the the grace of God to lead lives that are, are flourishing and lives that um, that honor Jesus so in in you know Megan's family, same same sort of thing like her father's rescued from alcohol alcoholism his brothers succumb to alcoholism they die you know somehow god rescues him and and um he gives them a church family and really a support system for uh, their son brian megan's brother who um, is you know severely special needs and their their family story their family testimony is there is no way there's no way we would have made it uh, had God not done that, had yeah. God not rescued us, because, you know, and, and my father-in-law would say it, he'd say, I, I Brian would be dead and I'd be in jail. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's so such great context for kids to hear that. They, yeah. And and again, I think they they might get some of that in, in drips and drabs, but I just don't think they understand
0: how they fit in. Right. How they fit into that. Which would have to be you're saying intentional, more that's intentional right. than it's been. That's yeah. right. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. How about uh, you? Well, my kids know that um, uh, I make a lot of I make light of you know coming growing up in a tra- as a trailer park family and and kind of um, lightly embrace all the stero- stereotypes and stigma that comes with with, with it. Um, and at the same time that that's true, my parents were also. Uh, Pretty naturally Immersing their kids in the church family Mm -hmm. Uh, There wasn't a lot of other things Going for us right Uh, My parents were older Uh, By older I mean they could have been my Grandparents My sister and I were surprises after uh, a full set of siblings uh, were already moving out of the house at the time. And 12 years later, I was born and then my sister born like maybe a year and a half after me. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up like um, deacons in a Pentecostal holiness church and had prepared for the mission field for, I think, maybe one semester or two semesters in Bible college before coming home and helping the uh, helping a pastor plant a church, which is this church here that I'm now pastoring, ironically, mm-hmm. but Pretty uh, neat. I do remember That's some context. It really is. I do remember our family being consumed with and plagued with behaviorism and legalism, mm-hmm. which was kind of the way things went with yeah. Pentecostal Ours uh, too. holiness. Ours yeah. Too. And um, but along the way, I sensed a desire for church leadership in spite of that, married a youth group friend. Um, uh, my wife and I have been married with four kids for 30 years. And stayed right here in my hometown to serve. Uh, but, um, you know, God rescued me not from a hard life of drug addiction, alcoholism, and and um, gambling, and, and child neglect, and so on. My God rescued me essentially from legalism, mm. and He rescued me from um, manipulation and guilt mm. with using or manipulation by using guilt and fear to get the Christian behaviors. Right. So uh, that kind of revelation. Um, came along with the strength, the security, and the safety I felt being immersed in a church family that was very committed and very devoted, for whatever the reasons. Mm-hmm. So those two things work together, I think, to bring some fruitfulness out of out of my own life. And um, when I think about this personal experience, with the shift from from helping my own family, my own kids come move from being a part mm-hmm. of it to a whole, um, I think about the way that God made me a small part of what he was doing to help the local Christian community be liberated from legalism and guilt and fear yeah. and give me what was needed to help kind of spur a first generation, maybe even a new generation of Christian dads who are free from Serving God because you felt guilty and because you felt like you would be condemned if you didn't do all the right things and because you were loaded with guilt. Mm -hmm. So when I think about what did God do to help me feel like a small part of a whole, that's what he did. He, He kind of set my trajectory apart and and helped it go a direction that. Really did initiate something way bigger than myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and he did that to, I think, um, especially in my own home, that the the implications of that in my own home, uh, I've never really taken the time to put the kids in that context to say, you're a second generation Mm -hmm. free from legalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Wow. which is new to us yeah so we're learning to what does yeah. it look like to lead a home what does it look like yeah. to be a husband what does it look like to, in the context of gospel centrality gospel transformation and freedom from guilt shame mm-hmm. legalism behaviorism and to do the same things but for the right reason mm-hmm. you know to be compelled by joy and gratitude and love not compelled by gosh i hope people don't see that i'm you know disobedient rebellious and imperfect so uh, it might help my kids to hear that story more clearly i love it and 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 our
1: stories are connected in that sense and that you know back in the the 2000s um you know around 2010 or so is when you know i sort of started my discipleship journey with you hmm. and so when you think about the concepts that you're talking about gospel centrality free from guilt and shame <clears throat> And legalism and moralism and performanceism, all those isms. Your story has also become part of my story, right? As I've been discipled by you, and we've, you know, sort of collectively been discipled by some wonderful people, you know, the, the likes of Tim Keller and, and others who have, um, through God's Holy Spirit, really dropped the, the blinders off our eyes in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and so there's an interesting connection there as that is then, you know, through the process of discipleship passed on to me and as I sort of pass it on to my kids and, and maybe reset their tra- tra- trajectories in, yeah. in different ways. And so. help
0: them see that the summation of their spiritual life, when they look at it, they have to look at it carefully. Mm-hmm. They're just a small part of what God has been doing in the whole community of believers among us and our own families That's and right. our own life, that they're they're a small part of extending that. And I'm grateful that I'm a part of what God was doing in my family to bring immersion in my life in the local church and mm-hmm. my set apartness. And, you know, all the good parts of what the way I was raised also contributed to um, affording me the opportunities I had to to um, put my roots down in a in a church and then eventually flourish and thrive and bear fruit. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff. You're um, typically making something. What are you making these days? Well, you know, when this podcast started,
1: we were talking about making things. You know, in terms of. Um, i don't know a little bit of stuff around the house you're you know remodeling something you know you're working with your hands different ways and i realized that that you know not everybody's into that um guilty yeah so i don't want to bore you (laughs) but i know too late i know uh one of the things that that we can all agree on is delicious food we can we all like that i agree if you don't amen uh turn podcast off that's it it's the end for you see ya um so you know i was thinking about like we all as dads maybe it's a stereotype or or whatever but you know we're kind of or as men right not necessarily just dads um there's something about the summertime and grilling that's pretty compelling but we're in a climate where we're obviously, you know, it's freezing out and we're not we're not outside as much and so the grill is a little I still use it, but it's intimidating. So, um I just want to talk very quickly about how to make something uh quick and easy uh at at the kitchen stove uh that's delicious and uh is a good winter meal. Yeah. Man. And and the 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 main part of that meal, the protein, we'll say is going to be a cutlet. Okay, I've been making a lot of these recently. Whether that's a chicken cutlet, maybe it's a pork cutlet. I like the pork particularly because it usually has a little more fat on it than
0: the chicken. And a chicken. cutlet is what? Just taking a breast uh, and, or, or a, yeah. a, a chop and then cutting it? Yeah. In so half, or, thinner. or what I, and this is what I suggest,
1: I'll take the, the, the chicken breast or the pork loin chop, put it in a freezer bag, and then pound it with a, a, a mallet. Okay. To get it nice and thin. Yeah. Right? So then next to that little station, you've got a bowl with some egg in it. So dip it in the egg. Don't worry about flour. Some people go flour in the next. I think that's messy, and it also um, is a little pointless. Uh, Go into the egg, and then you get a big bowl of um, uh, breadcrumbs, seasoned breadcrumbs, preferably panko. Mm -hmm. Um but 4C makes a great one. I, I like that one a lot. Costco and other places carry that. And then you you really get it in there. You know, get get that whole thing covered nice and evenly, and then put it on a cookie sheet and use your hand to press those breadcrumbs down into the meat. Because mm-hmm. if you throw it in the frying pan, you haven't done that, it tends to fall off, and you end up with more breadcrumbs floating around in the oil than you do on your piece of meat. So press it down good with your hand, and then you get your your uh, probably just a vegetable oil is what I. What what I use um, in a cast iron. And get that up to like 350 degrees. If you've got like one of those little um, thermometers, digital thermometers, you can stick it in there. 350 degrees. And then just cook both sides so it's nice and golden brown. If it's golden brown on both sides, it's going to be cooked in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be nice. It won't be overdone or dry. If it gets too dark, you're cooking it too much. Yeah. So you're looking for a golden brown. Take that out. Serve that with a little bit of lemon juice and maybe some flaky sea salt on top of that. And... um, On the side, maybe some roasted vegetables. Or even some rice or something like that. So just a just a simple... Um, anybody maybe could some, do that. Yeah, anybody, anybody could, could do, do that. it. That's what I'm saying. It's easy. It's simple. It's nice for winter. You're not outside freezing
0: your um, culliones off. I like whatever that means. I'm glad I'm keeping my them. my Italians. I'm so happy that I'm, I'm keeping those. That's good, man. I look forward to uh, making up some cutlets sometime soon. Thanks for joining us on Maturing in Manhood, and uh, we'll catch you all next time. See you soon.